The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about crime online, and we know that it is all around us. And we have a great author with us, Jane Hitchcock, who happens to be the author of True Crime Online, Shocking Stories of Scamming, Stalking, Murder, and Mayhem. I hate to be negative, but we also have to really enlighten our audience to know what is going on in the world, because so many of us are really trusting good, honest people that we can't even believe what people would do and why they would do it. Let me tell you a little bit about Jane Hitchcock. She's an author and cyberbullying and cybercrime expert. She volunteers with the U.S. Department of Justice Office for Victims of Crimes, which I do too, and the National Center for Victims of Crime, and law enforcement agencies worldwide. She has worked tirelessly with legislators in drafting and passing of many of the country's internet laws. And she is president of WHOA, Working to Halt Online Abuse at haltabuse.org, and WHOA-KTD, Kids and Teens Division, haltabusektd.org. And Jane continues on her mission to educate, you know, uh, adults and children on online safety. And she's been featured on Swift Justice, America's Most Wanted, 48 Hours, Good Morning America, Cosmopolitan and Time Magazine, and local national and international newscasts. And she was selected by Lifetime TV as their champion for change. So, as I said, she has her new book. This is her ninth book. True Crime Online, and we're going to talk about that. And you can find out more about her at truecrime-online.com. So thank you so much for joining us all the way from Maine. We really appreciate it, Jane. Well, thank you for having me. So this is a a wonderful book. Why don't you tell us how it is that you decided to write this book? Well, um, some of uh, some of the chapters in the book are actual cases that I worked on, and I thought they were pretty fascinating. So when I pitched it to my publisher, I said, you know, this would be good, as well as trying to find different exciting stories online that could go with it, uh, like the, the first online uh, serial killer, who was also known as the Slave Master. 
And then there was online cannibals, which I thought was pretty disgusting. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting as well. And it just kind of evolved from there. And at first, my publisher said, well, I'm not sure that this is going to fly. I said, well, people love true crime stories. You look at NCIS, Criminal Minds, you know, the other TV shows that are on in magazines that feature true crime articles. And I said, putting these all together in one book gives people an idea of what is happening online that spills over into real life. Exactly. And I noticed that the forward is by Denise Brown, who I know, who was a victim of identity theft. So, and uh, yeah, I have met her and helped her a little bit. So I do know her story and she wrote the forward. And then the story about Amy Boyer, that was a, a huge issue that we had talked about for many times. And I know that you have that in chapter one. Let's talk a little bit about Amy Boyer's situation, because that was something that was so terrifying when you think about how data brokers are selling your information. You want to tell that story? I, I know no. the story, and it I, I remember as it happened and right after she was killed. Yeah, well, I actually was contacted by the Nashua police. She lived in Nashua, New Hampshire, and they asked me to speak with her stepfather, and her mother was taking medication, of course, because she was so upset about you know Amy being murdered. But I got to know Tim, her stepfather, and he was very upset because he felt that the police weren't being forthcoming with him. And it turned out that they had confiscated the computer from uh, the young man that had killed Amy, Liam Ewens. And what happened was she just pulled up to a stop sign. She had just gotten out of work, and a car pulled up next to her. And she looked over, and the man in that car shot her, killed her, and then shot and killed himself. And when everything was first being investigated, both sides, as far as parents go, claimed that neither of them knew each other. So they, they did not know what the connection was. And once the police confiscated the computers and went into Liam Ewan's room and saw all these weapons and this ammunition in the computer and took it in, and when they got on the hard drive, they discovered that he had posted what we call now a blog, or he had it was a few web pages devoted to Amy. And he had run into her in the hall at high school one day, and after that it was just an obsession with him. And she had absolutely no clue whatsoever. And he just would make remarks, you know, he wouldn't post every day, but he would post fairly frequently, like when she got a new boyfriend. And then he got to the point after the Columbine killings that he was going to a Columbine on National High School and taking me with him. And then he began posting that he would park on her street where she lived. She lived at home with her stepdad and mom and felt that the police knew that he was stalking her because they were just doing a regular patrol, it turned out, but he thought that they knew that he was looking for her. And he also knew that she had just gotten a new job. So uh, what he did was he wanted to find out where she was working and more information about her, went online to this data broker. And yeah, DocuSearch, right? It was, do- uh, it, yeah, it was, um, I, I can't remember the name of it. Off the I top think it of my was head. DocuSearch because yeah, DocuSearch, they ended right. up in a lawsuit. So we can talk about that too. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 So he, he went there and asked, how do I find out where somebody works? And they said, well, you need that person's social security number. And he just went to another place on DocuSearch and paid 
to get her serial, uh, her social security number, and they gave it to him, no questions asked. Right. And that gave him the information to buy where she worked. Once he had that, he staked it out, figured out when she got there, when she left, you know, what time and everything, and he just got so obsessed with her that he finally did it. He finally shot and killed her and then killed himself. Yes. And that really tragic thing is that she had no idea that he had this obsession for her. And so that, I mean, how do you, how do you even avoid that kind of thing when you have no idea that that's going on? That's something that you can't really know. I, the best thing is when I go and I do my presentations and I teach is I encourage people to basically Google themselves, put their name into any search engine, you know, whichever one they use, and I tell them it's better to put your name in quotation marks so that instead of just typing in Jane Hitchcock, you'll get results refined to your full name. If you just type in Jane Hitchcock, you're going to get all the Janes, all the Hitchcocks, and all the ones with the same name. Right. You put quotation marks around your name, it will refine it so that you might catch something like this. And that's not anything that she would have even thought of back then. But I don't think but, that would have stopped this particular incident because she bought it from a private a, a data broker. So I don't think that she would have... Oh, she might have seen about the blogging, you're saying. Yes, yeah, that's yeah the blogging she, she might have seen, right. She would have, she would have found that, and I think that she probably would have gone to the police. I know her stepfather definitely would. Because yes. uh, he even said afterwards, you know, after we got to be friends, and he said that if he had known about how to basically Google yourself, ego surfing is also what it's called, and that they might have caught it and they might have done something. But what really upset him was when they ended up getting the records from the websites, they found out that there were people who had viewed these pages and nobody reported him. Yes, yes. And DocuSearch was sued, and there was it. I mean, they actually recovered, the family recovered against DocuSearch for, for yeah. giving out the social security number. But, yeah, I mean, it it's still easy to get someone's social security number, and then you can find out where they're working, and you can find out a lot more about them and, of course, steal their identity. So it was a, a real tragedy for that family. And you're right, I, I actually have a standing... You know, you don't just have to do the Google search where you do it once. You actually have a standing search. So every time your name comes up, you get an email. Yes. And so that's that's a great idea, Jane. And I tell people to do that even for identity theft in case they see something like that. And, of course, for businesses, it's a good idea to see if somebody has stolen your, your business name or is um, saying something bad about your business, all this kinds of stuff will hopefully come up, but it might not. But, yes, um, it's uh, it's a scary place. Yes, it is. Let's talk a little bit about cyber-stalking and cyber-bullying, and can you explain to my audience what the difference is? Um, there actually is no difference. It's just that the media gave cyber-bullying that name because it tends to spill over from regular bullying in schools for students. Uh, usually from middle school on up. But in essence, it's actually the same thing because cyberstalking is repeated communications online after the person has been told to stop. And that is basically the same thing with cyberbullying is usually these kids get bullied online and the student defends themselves and says, can you please stop 
bothering me, and it, it is essentially the same thing. Yeah, sometimes uh, the stalking can be, though, insidious where you don't know who's doing it to you, right? And, I, I guess that could thing. be the same with bullying, too, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Most of these kids might have an idea of who it is, but sometimes they absolutely do not know who it is because the bully or the stalker is using a Hotmail or Gmail account or they've created a fake profile on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or something like that, and they, and they use that to harass and bully the other person. Right. Now, I understand that you yourself uh, had an experience with cyberstalking. Are you willing to share that with us? Sure. Yeah, actually, it happened back in 1996 when the Internet was still fairly new for everyone. And back then, there were no social networking sites. There, there weren't really any blogs. And uh, all they had were what was called news groups. And I belonged to a writing group and became very involved in it. I had just moved back from Japan, and I was living in Maryland at the time, and I published six books over in Japan and wanted to find an agent here. And I saw a message that somebody had posted to the group saying that they were a literary agent and they promised big advances and this and that. I called the number, spoke to the guy, sounded really nice, and uh, I sent him my proposal and got an answer right away saying, we would like to see the full manuscript, and you have to send in a reading fee. And immediately the warning flags went up. Yeah, the reading I, fee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the reading fee. And I began asking questions. Has anyone else heard of this place? And I began to get writers that had actually paid these people money getting in touch with me. And I contacted the New York Attorney General's office because the, the so-called agency was just outside of New York City. And they told me that I had to either find more victims or a higher dollar amount that had been basically scammed. Right. So I posted on the group and just said, if anybody paid this agency money, let me know there might be an investigation. And that was in September. And by December, I had gotten enough and sent it all off to the Attorney General's office. And late December, somebody all of a sudden began impersonating me online, trying to get uh, other people on various news groups. They posted to hundreds of news groups pretending to be me and trying to get people upset with me and emailing me. And then they would repost these messages and added my home phone number. And then in January, they reposted again. And this time it was to sex-related and controversial news groups saying that I was into sadomasochistic sex and that I was looking for fantasies for my new book and to call me any time of the day or night or stop by my house. Oh, my God. This was cyber identity theft as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is before anyone even had a word for it. I, I basically became the poster child for cyberstalking because one of the local papers, uh, the reporter, actually coined the word back then. And that's what got me started was I found out the police didn't know how to handle it. The FBI didn't know how to handle it. There were no laws. And I had to work with other online friends trying to figure out who it was, find a lawyer to represent me. And that's when I founded or co-founded working to halt online abuse so that other victims like me would have somewhere to go. Yes. Jane, so did law enforcement, did the FBI go and, you know, look at the IP address of the person who was, who was stalking you and find that person? They had no idea what an IP address was. Uh, I had I had to learn that. My, I called the local police and the guy was very nice. He said, I can send somebody over to take a report, but what's a news group? And yeah. then when I finally got the FBI agent that showed up at my house, I ended up sitting with her for three hours and teaching her how to track IP addresses and how to 
how to contact the ISPs and, and how I did every, how I found out everything. So I actually taught her. So it was, back then it was the dark ages. Is yeah, the best did they, way I can did put they it. get, the, did they actually get the cyber stalker who was doing no. this? Well, I mean, they didn't. My uh, lawyer uh, actually worked on contingency. I found him, thank goodness. And, um, he ferreted it out that there were three people involved. Um, one was, we thought they were married, and then the other one was helping them. And while he was, he had to file a civil suit because criminally they couldn't do anything. There were no laws on the books. So in the meantime, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service in 2000 got in touch with me and said because many of these writers are paid through the postal mail, they were interested in investigating it. Right, right. And they ended up being the ones to arrest them finally. And it took me 10 years to get justice. Oh, my goodness. Did you get any restitution or anything for all that they had done to you? Or, or... I, I can't disclose it. Oh, we, okay, okay. We, 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 yeah, we, we settled it, but uh, the husband got jail time and probation. Good. The wife got probation, and the third person turned out to be the husband with a different identity. I see. Mm. And all the people that they, they ripped off. I, I wasn't talking about your settlement. I was talking about restitution for the people who actually paid yeah. the money. Did they get their money back? Yes, they did. Okay, they definitely good. Did. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, there's two different ways. For those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with what can happen, if you are a victim of a crime and something like this has happened and you've lost money, you can ask for restitution in which the government then collects um, assets from the people who were the criminals and then, you know, pays you restitution. Whereas what she's talking about for her, you know, she was harassed, her I would imagine defamed all these things that you would have sued for, and that's a settlement. That's different. That's a private settlement. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting that that happened to you in 1996 because that's when I was a victim of identity theft myself when the woman was parading as an attorney, and I ended up writing laws in the state of California and testifying in Congress on the identity theft legislation. So we were doing things about the same time, and I think for those of you who are listening. Um, it's really important that even if you're victimized like Jane was or I was, you don't have to be a victim even if you're victimized. And what happens with someone like Jane is that she said, hey, I want to help so this doesn't happen to anybody else. And that's pretty much what I did. And, and so that's kind of what we're trying to do is show you that even if you've been victimized, you don't have to be a victim. You can take the bull by the horns and make some differences. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, been an interesting journey. Let's put it that way for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I really can relate to that. That's how I wrote all my books and yep. ended up also doing identity theft work for the same reason, because we just don't want to be victims and we don't want to see other people victimized by these criminals. So let's talk a little bit about, okay, your experience really led you um, because you were a stalking victim and basically a victim of cyber identity theft, it led you to, to uh, you know, start your not your uh, foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, working to halt online abuse, and it started in February of 1997. And there were only six of us to begin with, and we are all volunteers. So uh, all of our advocates and my staff are located all over the world. I've only met three of them in person. And we communicate via email primarily, and we communicate online, as well as with victims, uh, because the Internet is international, so you can't just combine 
helping victims here in the USA. We right. have to be available for them all over the world. So uh, we, we offer the services for free. And uh, if, if you go to our website and this need help and we have steps on trying to resolve it yourself and then we have a questionnaire where victims fill it out, they're assigned an advocate, and we try and resolve the situation before it becomes really nasty. And since we started... We've resolved uh, over 70% of our cases without involving law enforcement or lawyers. Wonderful. Why don't you give that website right now? If somebody is listening, then they'll hear it. Our adult division is haltabuse.org. Okay. And then we have a kids and teen division for kids and teens under the age of 18, and that's haltabusektd.org. And I know you're a dog lover like me. You have a dog named Phoebe, and uh, I understand she's helping. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how Phoebe helps you? Yeah, she's a Siberian Husky. She's a rescue dog. She used to be a sled dog up in Canada. And when I first got her, my vet said to socialize her, so I started taking her with me to my presentations at schools and just asking if I could have her you know, sit in the front row or anything like that. And then I got... I began realizing that kids would walk up to me when I was holding, you know, her leash, and they would talk to me and talk to me about things that were happening to them online. So she became a mascot for our organization, and uh, she is a registered therapy dog now. And if the school allows me, I bring her in, and she actually, I've trained her. She does a bunch of tricks, and she also answers me when I ask, what do you say to cyber bullies? And she goes, urgh. And, and <laughs> That's the, cute. The kids love her. Yeah. The kids love her. And they, they love talking to me. And she also has her own Facebook page. So many times <laughs> after I speak at schools, these kids become friends with her. And I've helped many of these kids with problems because it's almost like they feel more comfortable talking to a dog, even though they know it's me, than they do talking to an adult. And right. uh, it just... It just, it's, it's good. Any way that I can get to help kids and get them to talk to somebody about what's going on with them online is better than nothing. Right. And they, and that takes away the fear because you've got this beautiful dog that they can come up and pet. And that gives them the courage to, when he's, when they're petting your doggy, that gives them the courage to talk to you and ask you questions. It's, it's really uh, takes away that, a lot of that fear. So that's wonderful. Tell us about some of the questions that these kids um, actually ask you when you speak at high schools. Uh, well, I when I go and I speak at high schools, uh, when I'm booked, I have two alter egos. I have a boy and a girl, and I go and I figure out who is at the school and where they speak and where they usually look up honor rolls online or the sports teams and start putting in names and asking the students to be friends with one of my alter egos. So by the time I go and I do my presentation, I've tailored my presentation to that school. It's not just a generic one. So when I get to the point about Facebook, I say, how many of you are on Facebook? And, of course, all the hands go up. And then I say, well, I say, I have an alter ego that I used, and my alter ego asked 30 of you to be friends. And all of a sudden, it just gets so quiet, you could hear a pin drop. And I say, how do you think you guys did? And then I go through and, and let them know how many of them accepted a complete stranger as a friend, and my alter ego does not interact with them after they accept my alter ego as a friend. There's no interaction at all, but I show them, now that you made this stranger a friend, look at the information I found. How many of you had cell phone numbers listed, had other social networking uh, handles listed like Twitter and Instagram and Skype and things like that? Right. How many of you had listed your home phone number, your home address, where you work after school? 
how many of you, you know, just everything yeah. that I, I could find after they did that. And then I said, and then I went through all your photos. Yes. And it gets even quieter, and I block out their faces, but I show them photos of them giving the finger, drinking because they're underage, mm. some of them doing drugs, smoking, uh, you know, doing sexually provocative pro- pro- poses. And it's one of those things where I do block out the faces, and I get permission from the schools before I do this, but it's tough love. Yes. And I, I call it the Internet scared straight, and it really, and afterwards... Um, I, I don't know if you could probably guess, but what the first question is that they usually ask me. No, I can't. It, what is it? It's who's your alter ego? Oh, and I oh, always yeah. say, <laughs> I always say, if you're asking me who my alter ego is, then that means you have way too many strangers yes. on your friends list, and you need to clean it up now. Jane, you'd get a kick out of this. I did a, uh, a, a just like we're doing an interview. I did an interview with four teenagers across the country. One in Boston, one in Michigan, uh, one in San Francisco, and uh, one I think in Chicago. Anyway, and I, what I did was ask them about their Facebook. Like one kid, I said, "Well, so how many friends do you have?" And yeah, six hundred. How many have you? Oh, are they really your friends? Oh, yeah, they're my friends. Well, how many of you have? How many have you really met? You know. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I did that kind of interview with these kids and asked similar questions. So we were on the same wavelength, and they were pretty shocked thinking that they knew who they were talking with they knew what they were doing they thought that they were careful they you know they told me well we don't talk to strangers i said really hmm how many of these people do you really know you know Uh how do you know that that photo is really that person so then the kids started like oh you know when we're on the phone so it was it was very similar to what you did it's um it's an it's an awakening for them yes definitely well, let me ask you just a, a few questions here before we go. Um, if you can just tell us what some steps kids and adults can do to prevent st- cyberbullying. We have about two minutes to do that. If you could do that, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, the best thing you can do is if somebody does start bothering you online, respond once to them, asking them politely to stop communicating with you, and then don't respond after that because that's what the other person wants. They want to know that they're getting to you. But keep everything because if you do have to go to uh, the school principal, to your parents, the police, or even to our organization, we need that evidence to back us up so we can investigate it. And just know that you're not alone. There are places like our organizations. Uh, there are things that you can do to not only prevent it, but to report it. Don't let it go. Yes. And when you say to keep it, you don't, you're not just talking about keeping it. On the hard drive, you're talking about printing it out as well? So that, I would do both things, definitely. Yes, yes. yes. But especially with emails, you definitely need to keep those on the computer because there's information in the headers that we would need or law enforcement would need, and just printing it out wouldn't do it. Okay, so why don't you give your website again for both the adults and the kids so that they can go there and visit it and see what you, all the wonderful work you're doing. Okay, the adult division is haltabuse.org. And the Kids and Teen Division is haltabusektd.org. Well, thank you so much. You are doing such great work, Jane Hitchcock. We so appreciate you. And let us know when your, your next book comes out, and we'll talk to you again, okay? Sounds good. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.
You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, and tell us what's important to you, what you need to know about in privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.